this morning. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. That's where we're going to start. Father, we thank you for this time, and, and we bless your word as it goes forth. In Jesus' name, you have your way, Lord God. Touch our hearts and our minds and, and change us through the power of your word. Amen, 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 amen. Was worship good today or what? That was, that was fantastic. Last week was great, and, and today it's almost like you don't want the worship to stop, you know. So it's true. Maybe we need to have just a worship service one time where all we do is just worship God and then afterwards just pray for each other. How about that? Would you all like that? Yeah, that would be a good thing, yeah. And, 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 and just have a good time with that in Jesus' name. Well, let, let me start uh, this series by saying this, that it, it's such a tragedy uh, that, that so many believers uh, in Christ Jesus live their entire life, their whole walk with the Lord, without a revelation of really who they are in Christ Jesus, who am I in Christ, and what it means to have the Spirit of Jesus living in you. We, we don't have a revelation of that. We, we go about our walk and, and, and our lives without that revelation. And, and what it does is it leads to believers who, who they're definitely going to go to heaven. I mean, they're saved, they're believers, they're, they're, they're great people, they're in church, everything else. But, but they never reach their full potential. They never reach the, the fulfillment of what God has called them to do in their lives. Now, when we give our lives, listen to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we should immediately start this life transformation process that leads to becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. That's Romans 8, 29, more into the likeness of his son Jesus, okay? But, but as, as we go, very often people, if they do have a revelation, they lose that revelation of who they are in Christ Jesus, okay? Now, it, it's... it's this is affected very much by the Holy Spirit who lives in us, okay? And so God who is living in us affects us after we become Christians, after we become Christians. Because it's Christ in us who brings forth every spiritual blessing, every benefit, every life change, every effect in our life is through our relationship with him, okay? Now, the Apostle Paul who wrote the book of Ephesians understood who he was because of Christ in him, okay? Paul had a, 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 a vivid memory. It hadn't been that long at all of who he was before and after Christ living in him, okay? And everything in his life was filtered through that screen. Now, follow with me because I'm going somewhere with this. It was filtered through that screen, and it should be the same way with us. Everything in our life should be filtered through that screen. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to look at Paul, and we're going to draw some stuff from Paul, and we're going to learn from him, and we're going to apply Paul, if you would, to our lives, almost like looking through a transparency. Y'all remember in school when you look through transparency and you can see this through the transparency? Well, we're going to see us through the transparency of Paul. Okay, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to start there. Now, listen carefully. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. An apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now, remember, Paul was not one of the 12, the original 12. Paul was a persecutor of Christians, and he met up with Jesus, we'll see in a little while, on the road, taking a road trip to Damascus. But he is an apostle because he was in the presence of God. 
and because he had an apostolic call in his life. And that, we'll see that in a second too. So Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. To the saints in Ephesus. Now, now, now repeat this with me. Say, to the saints in Youngsville. Okay, come on. Come on. All right. To the saints in Youngsville. There you got it. To, to us. Okay, Paul, the apostle of Christ. To the saints in Youngsville. The faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Now there it is. In Christ. Are, are you hearing this? In Christ. For he chose us. Well, it goes two words again. In Christ. Before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted. Now, I'm going to have about a half of next week's message will be on this predestined and, and, and that. So, so don't worry. Don't, I'm, I'm, I don't believe in predestination. To be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. You catching this? In the one he loves. Christ in you. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed, what, what does it say? In Christ, to, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Look at verse 11. In him. We were also chosen, having been predestined, and we'll deal with that next week, according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ. Are y'all catching this? When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed you were marked in him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are in God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now, the second scripture I'd like to read is 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. I'm going to read it to you in the Amplified Bible. They may have it on NIV, but I want you to hear it in, in the Amplified Bible. Because it, it just, it really rings true. L listen to this. Therefore, if any person is engrafted in Christ, the Messiah, he is a new creation, a new creature altogether. The old, previous moral and spiritual condition has passed away. Behold, the fresh and the new has come. A new creation in Christ Jesus fits perfectly what Paul was just saying right there. Now, how does Christ, listen church, how does Christ in you affect you? How does Christ in you affect you? What does it do to you? Christ in you, Christ in you has an effect. It has Something that happens like action, reaction, okay? In verse 1, we see Paul say, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Well, it affects you, first of all, by developing you into 
An apostle. What is an apostle? It means one simply who is called and sent on a mission. A messenger, if you would. Sent, who is commissioned and sent out with a message. An authorized spokesman of Jesus Christ. And Paul understood clearly, church, that God had called him to proclaim that message of salvation to the world. Paul was very much aware that the sovereign God of the universe had become the savior of his own little world. Now, now listen, let's camp out here for just a second. He was aware that the sovereign God of the universe had become the savior of his little world. You see, as Christians, we always tend to think of our Christianity as something that affects everyone else who is around us. We, 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 we all do that. And it's something that we're going to do over there. And, and Christianity is this, this big thing. And it is. And it is. And, 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 and it's, it's out there, away from us. But Paul had a revelation that the sovereign God of that universe was the savior of his little world. And until we get that revelation that this sovereign, giant, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present God is the God of our little world, until it becomes that personal, then all we're going to do is project it always on them out there and how it will change them and what's it going to do in that third world country and what's going to happen here. It starts with us, church. We need a revelation as Paul that he hung on that cross for me personally and that he is the savior of my little world. And then it comes personal, up close, in your face, and you have to deal with it. And then things start changing within you. You see, Paul had that revelation. And that's what drove him to become an apostle, to be willing to go out, to be willing to go and in harm's way and to, and to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ because he had a personal relationship with he who was in him. And until we have that personal relationship and a revelation of a sovereign, mighty God who is my personal Savior in my little world, then when we have that, we can start in our trip to apostleship, to become an apostle as Paul did. And he preached Christ and Christ crucified today Listen, church, God is still calling his people, us, us, those of us who his son is in to go and to tell them, John 3, 16, go and tell them that I love them. Come on, the great commission we have in Mark 28, I mean Mark 16 and Matthew 28, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature and he who believes will be saved. Acts 1.8, but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the outer ends of the world. But you notice it doesn't start with the outer ends of the world. It starts in Jerusalem. It starts in Youngsville. It starts in Broussard. It starts in Lafayette. It starts in Erath. It starts in New Iberia. It starts in your little world. And when you get the revelation of a mighty, omnipotent God who has saved you in your little world, 
Then you say, okay, now I'll go to Broussard and Youngsville and we'll go to Kinder at the prison and we'll go minister over there. It's got to start that. But you, you are called into apostleship just like Paul was. Listen now, Christ still needs messengers. 2,000 years later, 2,000 years later, the whole world has not been reached by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul's call to apostleship, Paul's commission to apostleship because of Christ in him is still our call today. But church, honestly, what have we done with it? Now, now listen to me. This, is, this was my personal check. I'm just going to give it to you. And you can, you can ask yourself, is this a good check, a checkup for me, if you would, okay? Here was what the Holy Spirit put on my heart for me. Do I still have that desire I first had when I got saved that everyone would be saved? Do you all remember those days, church? Do you remember? I see heads doing this where you were so on fire for God and you were so thrilled to be saved, to know Jesus Christ, to know you were going to heaven and that you were part of the work of, of salvation because he did that for you, that you wanted everyone, you had on your heart that everyone would be saved. Do I still pray for family members to get saved? Are you still praying for your family members to come to know Jesus Christ, to become Christians? Do I witness, do I pray for witnessing opportunities what I shared this last Wednesday night with the little film we're seeing on how to share your faith through relationships where we pray every day Lord give me one divine appointment today Lord one divine appointment today just one and church listen to me please hear dear ones hear my heart if you pray that every day you will be shocked you will come back to me and say pastor it's unbelievable I started praying that every day, and it seems like every day a door is open, and I get to tell somebody about Jesus Christ, or I get to show someone the love of Jesus and help them in some kind of way, and they say, what is it about you? And you say, it's not me. It is he who lives in me. Okay? You understand what I'm saying here? This ain't rocket science. This is very, very simple. You know, a few months ago, we took part, this church took part in Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames in Abbeville in Vermilion Parish. Y'all remember that? Just a few months ago, Brother Eddie played Jesus. We got Jesus sitting with us right over here. And, and, and we just went over there. We had a great time. We were responsible and headed up the, the counseling part and the prayer part. Brother Tim, who's out of town, was, was, was teaching and, and, and was up there heading up intercession. 35 to 50 people with their hands on the wall praying for those people for five six hundred people that were in those seats watching this production and then we get to see what we just prayed for people walking up had given their life to Jesus Christ well this last Wednesday we were discussing in our pastors meeting if we should continue that and do that again and it came up in the conversation about well what what, what, what kind of fruit was there was it was it was it worthwhile for us to do that and and the term came up what was the retention rate? Are y'all familiar with that? In church circles, that means how many people really give their life to the Lord and get plugged in and, get, and, and, and are being discipled and everything else? Because you see, there were 300, roughly 385 people signed that commitment card, came up to the altar, and gave their life to Jesus Christ. Th roughly 385 people, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, and Wednesday night. In four nights. And we got to talking about this retention rate and everything else. And then the Holy Spirit dealt with me. 
And in that, in that meeting, I said, guys, you know, we have to have a kingdom mentality. And they said, yeah, we, we, we agree with you 100%. And everyone agreed we needed to do it again, wait some time, but then, then do it again. But the Holy Spirit gave me this while I was studying for this message. Was it all worth it? How many of you took part in that, by the way? Raise your hand. You know how much time we spent and work it was. Was it all worth it? For one. Was it worth it for one soul? Well, I, I don't know. That's, that's a lot of money. Uh, pa Pastor Lane was telling us that on top of what this church donated and all the other churches donated, it cost $10,000. Well, that's a lot of money, Marshall. That's, that's a lot of, my goodness gracious, that's a whole is your daughter or your son worth $10,000 and four nights of hard work? You see, all of a sudden, the sovereign God of the universe of five, 600 people every night for four nights and 385 people come up and give their life to Jesus Christ. All of a sudden, when you get the, mi the, the mind and, and the heart of the Apostle Paul, all of a sudden, if it's your daughter or your son, isn't it worth it? Sure it is. Everything we've all done, everything that's ever happened in this church and everywhere else is worth one soul. Now, you may never be sent to Turkey where Ephesus was in the country of Turkey today like Paul. You may never have to go on a Damascus Road experience like he did to come into, into the kingdom of God. But your commission and your call is identical to Paul's because the same person, Jesus Christ, who was in him is in you. Same, there's no difference. Secondly, secondly, Christ in you delivers much privilege. It comes with privilege, guys. It comes with privilege. One of my favorite scriptures, John 1.12, says, it says that all who receive him, all who call in his name, all who receive him have the right to be called children of God. I love the way it reads in the Amplified Bible. But to as many as did receive and welcome him, he gave the authority, the power, the privilege and the right, listen to that, the authority, power, privilege, and right to become the children of God, that is, to those who believe in, adhere to, and trust and rely on his name. And Paul understood that there's no greater privilege in the world than serving Jesus Christ, and he had become a slave to Jesus Christ because of he who lived in him. He counted a privilege to be a slave for Jesus Christ. Now think about it, church. You serve a majestic king, a supreme lord, an almighty God, the creator, the magnificent one. And yet, just as we said a while ago, he knows you personally. Paul, the apostle Paul, who was the great, the great uh, uh, persecutor of Christians, who, who laid his cloak down in the front and gave authority and gave permission for them to stone to death our first martyr, Stephen knew what a privilege it was to serve Jesus Christ and to be a Christian because of him who lived in him had taken over and he was now in charge of Paul. Paul was no longer in charge of himself and so he counted it a privilege. He went on, by the way, just to let you know, the Apostle Paul wrote, some theologians say 13, some 14, most of them say 13 of the New Testament books 
Paul wrote. He wrote more books. God used him to pen more books. They're all divinely inspired than anyone else in the Bible. Okay? And he knew what a privilege this was. Now, let me, let me share a little story with you all about privilege. That we, I don't think we understand how privileged we are. Uh, especially, I think, in this nation. Because everything really, most of the time, not all the time, please hear me. But things are easy. Or, or, and they come pretty easy. I remember years ago hearing a lady in, in a bank in Lafayette in conversation. Uh, I remember this comment, and it just popped out at me, talking about church and about God. And this lady said, this is a quote, and all he expects is one hour a week. <laughs> and all he expects is one hour a week. That's how so many of us see our relationship with God. A religious hour a week, a little tip in the basket of two or three dollars. If I'm feeling pretty happy, maybe five or ten. Tithing doesn't mean anything. It's just I'm going to give five or ten here or there. So a, a religious hour a week and a little tip in the basket, basically telling God, I own the rest of my time. I own everything, my idols, my money, my time, all of these things. And we forget how privileged we are because of he who lives in us, because of the work he did on the cross, that we are privileged. You know what privileged means? It means that you are, that you are living in and that you are experiencing grace upon grace upon grace. And that you are in a place of privilege. And because of he who lives in you, Paul understood that privilege. But not only that, because of he who lives in you, he demands total surrender. It affects you in that way too. It's not only just this lofty, wonderful stuff. He who is in you demands total surrender. Philippians 3, 4 through 9. Listen, I'm going to start in verse 7. Paul, Paul, the same guy, says this. But whatever was to my profit, I considered loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For, whom sake, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish. That I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but which is through faith in Christ. Paul understood surrender a little bit better than most. Let, let me give you a little history. He's born in Tarsus, Paul was, the capital of the Roman province there. He's a Roman citizen by birth. That carried a lot of weight. He had a passport for anywhere in the world. Between the year 13 and 20 A.D., he moves to Jerusalem, he becomes a tent maker, and he starts going to Bible college, which, which uh, it, it wasn't Bible college, but he started going to a religious school by the greatest master teacher of that time called Gamaliel, I guess is how you pronounce it. Paul's grandfather was the founder of the school where the Pharisees would go. The Pharisees were the priests, the Jewish priests. And Paul went to school at the Pharisees' school. He became a zealot. He became a, a, a Pharisee of Pharisees, a persecutor of Christians. 
And like I said a while ago, in Acts chapter 8, Paul is standing there authorizing the stoning to death of the first martyr, Stephen. And then, in chapter 9 of Acts, we see where Paul is on a road trip. He's gone to the high priest, and he's asked the high priest permission to go to Damascus so he can round up a bunch of these horrible Christians and bring them back so that they can throw them in jail and torture them. And, and the high priest gives him permission, and he's on his horse with some other guys, and guess who he meets? He meets Jesus Christ, and a blinding light knocks him off of his horse, and he looks up, and he cannot even see, and Paul says, he looks, he says, who is this? Who is this who's doing this to me? And listen to what Jesus says. He says, Paul, he says, who are you, Lord? You see, Paul wasn't stupid. He called him Lord, although he didn't know what was going on. And Jesus said, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what to do. He got up and he was blind and they led him into the city and he couldn't see for three days. And Jesus came to Ananias in a, in a vision, in a dream, and he said, go to this house on straight street and he said go in there and he, and he said there's a man named Saul Paul in there and he said go to him and pray for him and he will regain his sight and he goes in and he says he says Lord I don't want to do Ananias says Lord I don't want to do that this is the guy who's been killing us he's taking all of your people and throwing them in jail and torturing them kill him he said go because he is my vessel who will bring the gospel to the Gentiles the Jew of Jews going to the Gentiles, he said, and in Jerusalem. And he said, go and tell him. And he went in and he prayed for him and his sight came back. And it says he rested for a few days and ate a few days. And the next scripture says, and Paul started preaching the gospel with power. And they were afraid of him. And then pretty soon they had a, a contract out on him. Is this amazing or what? Because he who is in Paul, is also in you. And Paul understood that that carried with it a commitment to surrender. You see, Paul wasn't just saved. He was converted. You know what converted rice is? Okay, he was converted. He was changed. He was turned into another substance, a complete change of heart. It says in the 1828 Webster Dictionary, in which the enmity of the heart toward God and obstinacy of will are subdued and are followed by supreme love of God, His law, and His life. Now, here's my question to us today, church. L listen, you, you might get mad at me, but what's it going to take to knock us off our high horse like Paul? You know, in, in the year 2000, remember the computers were all supposed to shut down and the whole world was supposed to end and everybody was going to hang a lip down to here. And every, I, I was kind of excited because I said, maybe, may, just maybe, when it all shuts down, people will truly turn to Jesus Christ. Well, nothing happened. Y'all remember 9-11? We just had the anniversary of it. And what a tragedy and what a horrible thing. But in that, I said, okay, maybe this is what it's going to take for this world, for people. And I'm not talking the lost people. I'm talking about the church of Jesus Christ. I'm talking about us, church. God's waiting on us, not them. He's waiting on his church to wake up. He's waiting on us, not the world. 
And I was, and I was praying and saying, Lord, maybe this tragedy, you will turn, use this tragedy to turn your church around. And it lasted for what? About three or four weeks, they said that people had started to kind of start coming back to church. What is it going to take to knock us off our high horse? Because we ride so high and mighty. We're in control. We know what's best. We know what everyone needs. And Jesus is saying to us, to me, Marshall, Marshall, why are you persecuting me? Say that with me, but say your name. Don't say Marshall. Come on. Say, I'm going to say Marshall. You say your name. Come on, Marshall. Marshall, say your name, come on, Marshall, Marshall, why are you persecuting me? What's it going to take to knock us off our horse? He who lives in us, Christ in us, wants us as Paul. He wants us surrendered like Paul. In Joshua chapter 5, verse 13 through 15, I'm going to tell you the story because of time. You've got Joshua who's going to take the promised land. In the first place, he sees this big wall, double wall city that we've heard preached here on, on, from Caleb here recently. And it's called what? Jericho, right? Remember the story about Jericho. And as he's getting close to Jericho and they're getting time for the battle and everything else, he runs in, up walks this man, this single man with a, a sword that's drawn. He's got a, a sword in his hand. And listen to what Joshua says to him. He said, are you for us or for the enemy? And listen to what the man replies. No. <laughs> Some translations say neither. Old King James says nigh. Now, now, now listen. It's translated no. Are you for us or are you for the enemy? No. <laughs> what would you do with that? Huh? He said, no. I am the commander of the Lord's army. That's what he told him. I am the commander of the Lord's army. Paul fell to his face. I mean, Joshua fell to his face in reverence. And he said, what would you have me do? And he said, take your shoes off for you are on holy ground. And theologians believe at that point that he was commissioned by this theophany is what it's called. This, this God in the form of man. God had come in the form of man to represent him. And he was commissioned to go on. And of course they had great victory. I'll know the ending of the story. But he said no. Now I heard a wonderful message preached one time. It says, listen church, listen. It deals with this point in here. Because of he... Who lives in you. He did not come to take sides. He came to take over. And Paul understood that. See, Jesus didn't move in to your little world. Jesus didn't move into you personally. The spirit who lives in you as the dwelling place of God. The temple of God. He didn't move in to take sides in your petty arguments. He didn't move in to take sides in your little trivial things in your life. He moved in to take over. Come on. He who is in you came to take over. He didn't come to take sides. You see, we always look at it from our perspective like, oh, God, you're fighting our battles. You know, you came there so you could help Joshua win that battle. And this, this 
this presence of God, this man looked at him and said, no, I came to take over so that you can fight the battles of God. You see, we always tend to look at it like, oh, God's with me and on my side and he's going to fight all of my battles. No, no, no. If you are in tune and in sync with he who is in you, he's going to use you to fight his battles in his kingdom. Are you following me? And Paul understood this. And the church doesn't have a revelation of that today. It's all about me, Jesus. It's all about me. Bless me. Help me. Fight my battles. Do this. No, it's not about us. It's about him. Christ is living in us. And we need to surrender, as Paul did, to that fact and to that person. Wow. God came to take over. He didn't come to take sides. And then, listen to this. Because of he who is in you, he's in there to direct your will and to direct your identity. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to the pattern. Same man, Paul, wrote all of this. To the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, perfect pleasing will written by the same man whose will and identity had been completely changed. Completely changed. Now, let me read to you quickly in Acts 9.15. I just went through it a little while ago, but I want you to hear it. Listen to what happens when your will is changed and when God's identity, he who is in you, has taken over. Acts 9 verse 15. Listen to this. Listen to this. The same man, same man, listen to this. Verse 15. I just went over it. Go, this man uh, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And then Ananias went to his house and went to the house and entered, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus has appeared to you on the road as you were going here, coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes and he could see again. And he got up and was baptized. Now, now listen. This is, this is a mind blower. He got up and was baptized first and then took some food and regained his strength. And he spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once... You catching that? Well, y'all don't have the scripture up there. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished and said, Isn't this a man who raised havoc in Jerusalem for those who called on his name, on this name of Jesus? And hasn't he come to take prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Paul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ, the same man's will and identity, his will and his identity, who he was, was completely changed. Completely changed. You want to know why, church? Listen, this isn't rocket science. Because somebody moved out and somebody moved in. And when our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ moved in, his will our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. 
His will had changed, but his identity had changed. My goodness, did you, have you seen old, old Joe here lately? Man, he doesn't look like the same guy. Lord have mercy. What do you mean? Oh, he cut his hair. No, no, I ain't talking about that. I don't care. No, he's got a smile on his face. What? He's got a smile on his I'm telling you, he's got a smile on his face. And man, you know how he always walk, walk around like just looking for trouble? Man, he's, I saw him the other day. He was helping some people. And he was nice to them. And he didn't steal anything or hit anybody. His identity had changed. Are you with me? How many of you in your wallet have a driver's license? Come on, raise your hand. All right. You're going to get a new driver's license. You should have one in there that says, Christian, believer in Jesus Christ. The old me, the new me. And Paul's will and Paul's identity had changed completely in his life. Now, listen to our questions in this one. Listen again. These were to me first and then to you. Can I say I know what I'm doing is God's will in my life? That's tough. These are tough questions. This is where the rubber meets the road. Can I say that I, I know that what I'm doing is God's will in my life? Is this where he wants me? Is this his will? Is this his identity in me right now? Is my work or my profession godly? A am, I, am I doing something that, that he could say, okay, that's, that's okay. We had a big discussion with, with a gentleman years ago in the daycare, and, and he came to us, and he was uh, working at a casino. Remember that, my brother? And he, he came to me, and, uh, and he talked to me about that. And it was causing problems in, in his marriage, actually. I think is what it, what it was, because he was, you know, and, and he came to me and came to my, my dear brother, and he said, and he, and he wanted our opinion, and I looked at him, and I said, brother, the strongest Christian would have a hard time in those surroundings, ma making it, working, I'm talking working every day, you know what I mean? You're in there every day, you know, and, and, and I told, I looked at him, and I told him the truth. I said, I know where my areas are in my life, and, and I couldn't do that. You know, because I know that sooner or later, I would probably give in. You know, it, it would just be hard. It would be so tough, you know. And, and so we told him that. And he, I think, I don't know, he kept on, correct? And ended up causing severe problems, okay? So, so where are you working? Is it, is it someplace that, that you can say, well, this is a place where, where I can, I can, propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if God tells you to go to a casino, go and, and, and witness, okay? Have I surrendered my plans to his plans? Have I ever experienced flowing in God's will in my life? And could I recognize it? Flowing in the will of God. Have I ever asked God to open up this whole area in my life? Flowing in the will of God. Okay, I'm going to ask you all a personal question. How many of you here, at some point in your life, it could be now, it could have been in the past, how many of you here have known at a particular time in your life that you were flowing in the will of God? Raise your hand. Go ahead, raise your hand. 
that you knew. I'm in the will of God. This is a God thing right here. Raise your hand again. Is that the coolest feeling on the face of the earth? Does that bring more security and comfort and joy in your life than anything else? See, I've had them both in my life. I've had years of of time where where I had a good job and that security working on the railroad and it was a, it was a good time. You know, I mean, when I say a good time, it was a time where God grew me and, and honed me and tested me. Make great money. It wasn't if you wanted, it was what color you wanted. Because they knew that check was coming in. Union job, they couldn't fire you. I mean, it was, it was crazy. But I was not fulfilled. I wasn't in the will of God. Have you been there? Raise your hand. Big check, no fulfillment. A man named Bob Beale who wrote a very famous book called Second Half, The Second Half. And he's talking about most of the time in our, in our lives, the first half of our life or our career is just for provision. And he said, when you get a little bit older, the premise of this book is, why don't you shoot for significance in the second half? And ask God what you're going to do with that second half of your life. Okay? I've been in both of them. Raise your hand again. You know that you've been in the will of God and, and you, you remember how that felt. Okay, put your hand down. How many of you would like to be there again? Raise your hand. <laughs> Come on. What do you do to get that back? What do you do? You don't have to quit your job and go into full-time ministry. You don't have to give up. Uh, uh, you don't have to go out and sell your boat, you know. Although I sold mine and I'm thrilled. You don't have to go and, and, and cash in and say, no, we, we can't have insurance and we can't own anything because the Bible says we've got to live in a commune. And that's, not, that's crazy. You have to get on your knees and say, Lord, how can I be significant in your kingdom? And you want to hear something, church? That might be coming on Thursdays and cleaning this building. Just as significant as what I do up here on Sunday. That might be leading us in worship. It might be standing at that door with a smile on your face and greeting someone. It might be helping us with the youth. It might be going to prison on the third. And just being that 7.5 touch say 7.4 something times someone is touched with the gospel and that might be one of y'all on the third and someone will get saved and they'll be sitting right here in this church now where does this all come from look up there 
Christ in you.